Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome along to the Big Red Bench on Quarks the Red FM with me, Valerie Wheeler, with you until 7 o'clock. Another busy show this week. Ireland are currently in action against England. We'll be checking in on that. Anna Capeless joined me during the week. She's Irs International and Harlequins player. She's also a Mallow woman, so it was great to catch up with another Corkonian. Her accents were through the roof. She was there to launch Tackle Your Feelings. It is a new Be Kind campaign launched by the Rugby Players Ireland. Uh, just to combat some online abuse that players will receive. Um, Willow Callan from Off the Ball joins us on the success of Rachel Blackmore this week at Cheltenham. An amazing story. Uh, Garnish GA, of course, they have a fundraiser there, fundraising um, for facilities, and you couldn't get your hands on a tractor. Fiona Cockle will join me. She's former Irish captain. And Ronnie Whelan and Colin Sullivan. All that and more on the Big Red Bench. Aye, 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 aye. Another busy show. Welcome along to the Big Red Bench with me, Valerie, with you until 7 o'clock. Ireland are facing England at the moment at the Aviva Stadium. Both teams conclude their Guinness Six Nations campaign. It is 23 points to 6 to Ireland and I am outside and I am just in shock and awe um, of how well Ireland are playing this week. And um, It's absolutely amazing. Um, of course, Keith Earls got a, a try just a few moments ago, but it was disallowed, but there was brought back for a penalty, um, which Johnny Sexton took. So it is 23.6. We are going to check in a little later on once that is over. There's probably about 25 minutes left in that game. We'll be chatting to Moss Finn later on in the show. Wales, of course, looking to secure the championship title in Paris at 8 o'clock tonight. A win against France would see them win the Grand Slam for the second time in Three years. We have plenty to get through, so I'm going to fire through it. Um, I did mention Anna Claypus will be joining me to tackle your feelings campaign. It is run by Rugby Players Ireland and it was funded by the Z Zurich Foundation. Um, she joined me during the week to launch it. Uh, she's an Irish international and Harlequins rugby player. Um, it was great to chat to her. Anna, welcome to the Big Red Bench. Thanks so much for having me. Long time listener of the Big Red Bench myself. Oh, well, they'll be delighted to hear that now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the inner cork coming out of you. I feel like the, our accents are going to get so bad now, Anna, during this interview. Yeah, I've already picked it up from you, to be honest. So um, that, I'm happy with that, though, because I'm in Dublin now and I don't want to, you know, I don't want it to um, mellow out. When is the last time you were home? Um, I was home a couple of weeks, over a few weeks ago now, over a month ago, I'd say. Um, I moved back from, you know, usually based in London and play with Harlequins, but because of the, you know, the pandemic and we had World Cup qualifiers coming up, I decided to come back to Ireland and base myself in Dublin. So I did a, you know, 14 day quarantine in Mallow. So after that, I was able to go home and see um, my family and um, that was really nice. So I've since been in Dublin and uh, yeah, it's good. good to Great. Be I'm only down the road. I'm charitable. We're both two Norcork women. Oh, great. Fab. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it sunny down there today? I'm actually living in Limerick, but it is quite sunny in Limerick here today. Oh, great. Yeah, we're, so you're, you're we're well travelled, the two of us. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I love Limerick too. When I spend too much time in Limerick, I pick up a Limerick accent too. So Yeah, it is easy to pick up that accent while you're It here. is. It is. <laughs> but how have you been finding life in Dublin at the moment? I mean, it's quite different. You probably have no social life and it's probably all, all training. Interestingly, like usually our lives at this time of year when we're in Six Nations it isn't that much different to how it is this year because you know know, a lot of people are missing going out and 
going home at the weekends or, you know, going out for dinner and stuff. Like usually during the Six Nations, we can't do any of that stuff anyway. So actually we're very lucky, you know, our training has been able to continue. You know, we've been, um, there's some Trojan work gone in there, you know, by, by the IRFU and by our backroom staff um, to, to keep our camps running and to, to keep us training. And, um, you know, it's all very strict and very, um, a lot of protocols to stick by. And um, it's, it's been, you know, tough, tough enough slog, but actually, you know, not for a second have we taken it for granted because we know we're very lucky. You know, it's a lot of teams, a lot of athletes at the moment that aren't getting to play or train and can't even get into a gym. So we're, um, yeah, we're very, very lucky. And like you say, it's kind of, business as usual for us to be honest at the moment because um you know when we're you know preparing for a tournament or if you're in the middle of a tournament you're just you know in at the weekends working during the week training in the evening so um that's pretty much how it's been going now you've had over 18 camps i read somewhere which is a lot of preparation that's a lot to be preparing it isn't it yeah it was 50 training sessions i think i said 50 camps to someone there a while ago and (laughs) that's an awful lot i was like yeah that does sound like an awful lot so no 50 training sessions so like it is a lot and a lot of chop and change and kind of aiming for something that then has been moved and has been postponed so it's made it's made for a very competitive year in camp um and a very very a very good year in camp training wise like you know the the mental toughness around you know trying to peak and then trying to accept that and accept the different dates and now a different goalpost to to aim for you know that's that's kind of external to the fact that our camps themselves training wise have been excellent and our you know our strength and conditioning coach has been like brilliant and she's getting the best out of us and trying to get us to you know peak physically and mentally and then you know like I say having to get to change that and and um you know go from preparing for six nations to then preparing for qualifiers to now back to preparing for six nations to come first so yeah six nations in a couple of weeks and in a couple of weeks and we have a little bit of time off now to kind of uh, reboost and regenerate like especially after the disappointment of the postponement of the world cup um I think we needed that needed a bit of time at home and time to kind of switch off and means, you know, it's a, it's a big, big announcement for a lot of players. And, um, but there's still a job to be done and there's still a Six Nations to win. And we are, you know, very, very hungry to, to put our best foot forward and um, just put in performances that we deserve to put in because we've worked so hard and we just want to prove it to ourselves that all the work we've put in has been worth it and, we want to play well and we want to be happy with that and we want to achieve, get right the things on the pitch that we've been working on. So, you know, doing that in a, in an, in an internal game is fine and, you know, is, is, is kind of in some way satisfying, but actually getting to do it in a test game. Yeah. That's, that's going to be a really good feeling. Before we get into the six nations, I know you mentioned that you have some time off now and how are you remaining so positive? You've such a bubbly and lovely personality, Anna, you know, and it shines so much through when you're chatting to people. So how do you keep that bubbly personality always going? What do you do to stay positive? Uh, it definitely doesn't always keep going. And actually, you know, people who follow me might have noticed that I probably was a bit quiet on my own social media over the last kind of couple of weeks and months because, you know, things were just were getting me a bit down and that's fine and I'm happy to you know 
have those, you know, feelings run their course. And I am a positive person. So I knew that, you know, my positivity would come back around. And one thing that helps me with that is like dancing in the kitchen. So <laughs> throwing on some loud music and having to dance around like before going out to training or whatever. And then just being at training itself, you know, like even the other day now, I was like, oh God, I drag myself up off the couch, get into my car to go off up to Blanchardstown to the sports center for training. And I was feeling sorry for myself. And I was like, oh God, this is the last thing I want to do. As soon as I was in the door with my teammates, bang, you know, back to back to normal. Like, yeah, it's great to be here. Tunes on, lifting weights, pushing each other, getting the best out of each other, having a laugh. Like, so, you know, you know yourself, team sport will do that to you anyway. So, um, yeah, when I get to to dance around and like I play a bit of music and stuff like that just for the crack. And when I put it on my social media, it seems to, I get a lot of positive responses of people being like, oh, this really cheered me up or whatever. And that makes me want to kind of share that even more. And I know that some people are like, oh, Jesus, here's her one again with, <laughs> with the ukulele. The, yeah. the ukulele. Here she's on again. Um, so, <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't mind that. And, and uh, People are always giving me, um, you know, uh, a bit of um, challenging me on that a bit, I suppose. But like, you know, for, for someone to write to me then and be like, this really cheered me up. That makes me feel really good. So, yeah, I, I that's how I stay positive. Yeah. Yeah, well, great. I'm sure you definitely impact a lot of people around you so positively. And I know that you do a podcast as well. This is a chance for you to promote your own podcast on the show. Come on, people might listen to it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, myself and um, Lucy, um, a girl uh, I know from the UK, she's a journalist and she's been covering the premiership in the UK for years. Um, so, yeah, we've started the Gainline podcast. And uh, that's uh, it's been really fun. We've had on a good few um of my teammates and like uh, girls from like different home nations to have just have the chats and just you know people listening just allow them to get to know the players and get to know the girls and just get to know what people are up to because it is interesting that you know each of us has a job and another passion in life mm-hmm. um that can connect with people a, a bit more so um yeah that's been really good and like we, we reach out to like the the clubs, you know, the rugby clubs, like the younger girls that are playing rugby in Ireland at the moment, and we get them to send us videos and stuff to see what they're up to and see how they're coping because they must miss rugby so much. Uh, like I say, you know, we're so lucky to, to be able to continue to train and a lot of people that are, must be missing it so much and I can't imagine how they feel. So for us on the podcast to like reach out to those girls has been really great. Like one of the entries we got last week, we, we run a weekly competition um, with Rhino Rugby and the, um, we get... Uh, some of the girls who are playing rugby at home or training at home or doing whatever, TikToks or anything to keep themselves sane. And like one rugby club um, up the north sent just like um, a project that they were doing. They were doing like a gardening project and they were growing snowdrops. And like the snowdrops are like a symbol of like how, you know, they, they look so beautiful and um, such a, you know, strong flower like to grow and like grow in the winter and so it was like symbolic of their rugby team that they're you know really lovely like bunch of girls but that they're really strong and oh I just loved it so much so yeah plug for the for the podcast there if there's anyone that's what has a similar story or I love it I was dancing a song so that'll get you in there in our um in our tournament so anyone any of the young girls who are missing rugby and just want to like you know keep the positivity going like tag us in the game line podcast 
Yeah, well, brilliant. That's why I wanted to mention it because it is it is quite interesting. And I know a lot of our listeners are, you know, are missing rugby and you never know, there might be someone young out there that would love to send in something. Definitely. Thanks, William. Yeah, no, great. I might share it on our um, Big Red Bench page as well at um, the Big Red Bench Twitter page if anyone wants a link to find your podcast, Anna. Brilliant. But before we get into the Six Nations, I know a couple of weeks ago when it was cancelled, you know, there was a lot of stick online and this is kind of why we're here today because you're an ambassador for Tackle Your Feelings campaign, the hashtag Be Kind. It's a new initiative. And I think it's it's probably really important. Someone like yourself did speak out that time, Anna. I know it probably wasn't easy for you to do so because you know, we've all faced crap online and sometimes people say ignore them, but it's sometimes it's not easy to ignore. Yeah. And a lot of people do say that I ignore them because I think they don't want you to feel offended or upset by someone who clearly doesn't have a clue. So I definitely, you know, I, I agree that a lot of the time, you know, just ignoring it, but actually sometimes it is okay to kind of stand up and be like, hang on a second now. So hopefully, you know, hopefully I achieved that with the, the, the tweet that I sent in response to, you know, the, the I care movement there um, over a month back and it got a lot of traction. So I think that people really understood it and it resonated with people and maybe people didn't know and didn't understand the kind of sacrifice that goes into playing in a women's six nations. So that's good. And hopefully I've put that message out there and it has become some kind of ammo for someone who wants to shoot down someone they know that speaks like this or actually if it's you know someone if someone read my tweet that has you know previously been like bad-mouthing women's rugby or women in sport maybe they read it and were like oh okay I didn't actually know that or you know they're, they're uneducated Anna yeah and like you know is that their fault like you know we've got a you know we've got a responsibility you know as as players of platforms and you know as as media I like to put out there that uh, women do play sport and they play sport really well. So, you know, if someone is ignorant to that fact, they've somehow managed to avoid that narrative. So, you know, it's up to us to kind of uh, accelerate it and expand it. And, you know, the, the chat that you and I are having now will hopefully, you know, get into the ears of, of someone who might not be so aware of the fact that the Women's Six Nations is coming up, for example. And, um, you know, on, on, on the, the particular feelings campaign, you know, a lot of it is aimed at how brazen people have become online by tagging people and being, mm. you know, super critical and, you know, saying like horrendously nasty things and, you know, um, I would recommend watching Tackle Your Feelings videos that were released around, um, you know, they're, they're little cartoons of kids chatting in the playground, but saying really nasty things. And the nasty things actually have come from tweets that have been directed at Irish rugby players. So it's really hard to listen. And, um, you know, they're so just cute little voices and cute little cartoons. And to be saying something so nasty is very shocking. So I would recommend that people watch those just to kind of, you know, have that hit home a little bit as to how how terrible this is that people are just so blasé throwing it out there that that was rubbish she's useless he shouldn't play anymore she is she is a you know i can't remember what what it says but like basically commenting on you know a girl's body shape or anything like that so you know that that has to stop and i think maybe we've just got carried away in you know, the world of like sitting at home 
when we probably should be out in the stadiums. I mean, normally we would be out in the stadiums watching these games, but now everyone's at home and dying for someone to connect with on the content of the game and maybe putting out something so uh, hard hitting, you know, like a, insulting a player kind of gets that instant reaction that they're mm. craving because they don't have anyone around them. But it's not the way to do things. And maybe we just allowed or you know, we've allowed social media kind of get ahead of itself. So hopefully Tackle Your Feelings will bring about the kind of uh, empowering nature to stop these comments or to flood a post with positive comments and, um, you know, still still critical and we, we can still, you know, be uh, critics of the game, but mm. not in the bullying manner that appears to be going on right now have you yourself ever received anything online um yeah but probably not to the same extent that um i mean a lot of the stuff that gets directed at the women's players is more like about uh body shape or um, kind of an external factor to your performance. And the men have to deal with the performance side of things um, a lot more that, than, than we do as women. So I think for us, it's easier to kind of be like, okay, they, they clearly haven't a clue and that has nothing to do with how I play. So, um, you know, for me, I have um, seen kind of like, yeah, like you say, kind of external commenting on appearance or... Um, calling players like lesbians or comments like that have absolutely nothing to do with the actual game itself. So, um, you know, almost in a way, you're almost like, be careful what you wish for, because if we're going to get to that level to where we get the same respect as the men, then you're inviting this, like, you know, this these massive um, comments and critics on your actual performance. But I would prefer that, you yeah. know, that we get to actually then go out the following week and disprove that person. Whereas if they're commenting on the fact that you're a woman in sport and you're a lesbian and you're this and you're, you're overweight and you're, you shouldn't look like that. That's, that's got nothing, you know, that's, yeah. I can't do anything about that. That has nothing to do with rugby or me as an athlete and me as a rugby player. Like I prefer, you know, these, these comments on, on, um, you know, how, how we, how we play, because then that's something we can deal with and we can change as players. Yeah, well, this initiative, I think, is really important. I'm sure a lot of people will go have a look at those Tackle Your Feelings videos campaigns online. But look, we're less than a few weeks away from the Six Nations. I want to finish on a positive note. Um, how much are you looking forward to it? You must be itching to get back into action. Definitely. It's been a long time coming. Like, if you told me, when we played England last year, if you told me, like, okay, this is, this is it now, you know, like, you're not going to play. If you told me that day, my goodness, like, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, you know, to have a whole year of, like, you know, like we already spoke about, so I won't go back into too much, but a whole year of, like, hypothetical kind of uh, mm-hmm. situations of how your year is going to look like. So to, to be this close now... And, you know, to have everybody, you know, we've been constantly tested, you know, um, COVID tested every week, getting our results back every week. And, you know, to know that the whole team is doing so well to like, you know, keep the virus at bay and, and um, you know, 
be so close to the games now. It's a very exciting place to be in. We're, I was saying earlier, like the sound of the the whistle for kickoff on that first game is going to be like music to our ears. And I hope it's going to be the same for people watching at home as well. And it's going to be an interesting one as well because it's the first time we've had the Six Nations, you know, in a separate window for the me- from the men's, you know, yep. for a while. So that would be really interesting to see how that works out. Selfishly, I love playing the same weekends as the men because, you know, since I've been young, I just love Six Nations weekends and, you know, the Super Saturdays and just the buzz around Six Nations uh, so I'll be interested to see, you know, and we'll all be interested to see how this carries over into a standalone competition for the women. So, um, yeah, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be really exciting. Hopefully that's more eyes on you though. That's yeah. good. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, something that struck me um, is how much, you know, if we're watching um, next, for next Super Saturday now for the men's game, you know, probably a lot of people are going to watch all three games because we know so much about the Welsh team. We know about, you know, the Scottish back line, the English pack, how many penalties Mario Toja has given away. Like, you know, we know all these mm-hmm. things about all the different teams. It's the same in the women's. Like, there are there are players like Mario Toja in the women's squad that people would be just as excited to watch. And I feel like, you know, with, with the competition running alongside the men's, people will, like, you know, if they're interested in the women's game, they'll tune in for the Irish game, but then they might not for the other games. So now, like you say, yeah, it's an in- interesting one. Let's see if people tune into all three games so that they can get to know the players and the other teams, just like we do in the men's. You know, I'll be watching all three games now this weekend. I watched all three games last weekend. Most people do, you know. So um, when it comes to the women's, will will people do the same? I, I actually, I, I think they should. That was Anna Cabliss chatting to me during the week. Um, Irish International and Harlequins player. The Women's Six Nation is kicking off in a few weeks' time. We're really looking forward to it. As you heard her there, she would love more than all your support to watch a few of those games. And of course we will. We're looking forward to it. What a great, great role model and such a lovely girl. Um, you can catch the full chat online at the Big Red Bench later on. Now, during the week at Cheltenham, Loads of stories came from Cheltenham during the week, but I think one that stood out for a lot of us was the success of Rachel Blackmore. Off the Balls News Talk, welcome to Will O'Callaghan. Um, Will's going to give us a review of Cheltenham during the week. Will, first of all, did you win a few, Bob? <laughs> uh, thankfully, I was too busy this week to be staking any of my own money. Uh, I think anyone who was following Irish horses for the week, you probably did pretty well. I mean, 23 Irish victories across the week at Cheltenham on the four days is a new record. It surpassed the 19 from 2017, uh, particularly for a lot of Irish horses. The many down around your neck of the woods for your Cork listeners at the moment who would have been point-to-pointers went on to be Cheltenham Festival winners this week. And, you know, the most memorable week it's been for both Henry de Bromhead and for Rachel Blackmore because, you know, de Bromhead made himself a little bit of history, uh, particularly with his brilliant mares. I'm sure we'll talk about Honeysuckle in a moment with regard to Rachel Blackmore, but also put the kettle on winning the Queen Mother Champion Chase kicking off the week with the champion hurdle and De Bromhead finishes the week as the first ever trainer to win the champion hurdle, the champion chase and the gold cup, which are considered the three championship races of the week. And then for Rachel Blackmore, who has always had huge potential, but this has been her breakthrough festival. Uh, she's become the first woman ever to be the leading rider. Six winners across the week, just one behind the record, which is still held by Ruby Walsh. But like what a week it's been for, her, you know, picking up, four wins across grade ones to go along with the champion hurdle, which she picked up on Monday, and then having the six winners in the bag by early on Friday. 
one of the most unassuming characters you could ever meet, one of the most humble mm. Irish sports people around. And Rachel Blackmore has announced herself now as a real star of the sport. Let's talk about Rachel Blackmore. I mean, five years ago, we did see that she asked media when she had an interview to not put a big picture of her in the paper. She hates the fuss. You mentioned it at the start. A very humble person. I mean, no fans and no big deal in Cheltenham really went her way. It was a success story of the week. Um, she's breaking barriers. I mean, it's just been an amazing, amazing story to come from Cheltenham, uh, Will. Yeah, like one of the remarkable things about this, Valerie, is that Rachel Blackmore doesn't particularly like the idea of being boxed off as being a female athlete or being a female jockey. And I appreciate that I started this conversation by saying it's a record for a female rider to be the top jockey at the Cheltenham Festival. She wants to see herself as being one of the top jockeys around. And we had her on off the ball earlier this week, and she was saying that when she was a kid, and when she was first going out for hunts and first going out for point-to-points and learning her trade along the way, her hope was, I'll get a grade one winner at some point. Doesn't matter where it is, I just hope to win a grade one. Then kind of the dream becomes, I hope I have a winner at the Cheltenham Festival. And we spoke to her on Tuesday after Honeysuckle's incredible performance where Rachel Blackmore has had this terrific relationship with the unbeaten horse so far. They won by seven lengths in the champion hurdle. Just such a remarkable and comfortable victory. And then it would have been easy for Rachel Blackmore to go, all right, I just won myself the Univet champion hurdle. No great pressure now straight back out on Wednesday, the first grade one of the day, back out for Henry de Bromhead, who has shown faith in Rachel Blackmore on top of Bob Ollinger, uh, winning the Ballymore Novices Hurdle, and then back out with Sir Gerhard later on in the day on Wednesday to win the grade one champion bumper. So within two days, Rachel Blackmore already has won three of the most significant races of the entire festival. And then on Thursday, she picked up two more winners. And Alaho, again, was incredibly impressive, I thought, in the Ryanair chase. Won by 12 lengths in the end. Again, one of those dominant performances when we look back on Cheltenham. And maybe the mistake she made was on Friday, because two years ago, Rachel Blackmore was on Manila Indo. And Manila Indo goes on to win the Gold Cup. She had her choice. Uh, Henry de Bromhead said you can have either of the two horses ahead of the race. She went for Atlas Tard, who finished up in second place, and Jack Kennedy was on board the winner at Manila Indo. So she was saying that it was a good thing her mask was back on at the point that the race finished because she may well have um, given off her impression of how disappointed she was for making the wrong decision. But, you know, for Jack Kennedy, who has not had a you know, great time of it, Valerie, because yeah. he's the retained jockey at Gordon Elliott's uh, yard, would have been very difficult the last two weeks for him. But He's 22 years of age, I think, in a few weeks' time. He's still 21. Yeah. He has won like nearly 30 grade one races now at this stage, which is just remarkable. And uh, yeah, I'm sure he's still going to be the toast of Listol at the moment after becoming a Gold Cup winning jockey as well. But the week belonged to Rachel Blackmore, like six wins for the week and winning so many of the big races. Just absolutely incredible. Yeah, it was. And I mean, uh, I saw lovely pictures online of her signing, um, you know, the the tradition of signing uh, in the weight room picture. And I don't know, did you see today earlier on, she got a lovely reception along with Jack Kennedy in Thurless Races this afternoon. It was just, it's really nice to see. And it was, I think for Irish racing, when it was in such trouble last week or the week before, it was just a nice... A nice thing to happen to Cheltenham for the sport. Well, isn't there something remarkably humble about the fact that, like, if you're Jack Kennedy or Rachel Blackmore, you've come off a terrific week, and in the case of Jack Kennedy, probably the biggest win of your career, you'd probably want the weekend off. But instead, they're back out at Thurles this afternoon for a seven-race card, and in both cases, they're trying to win the championship here in Ireland for National Hunt Jockey of the Year. And they're kind of 
singular focus on being the best that they can possibly be means there's no rest for the wicked whatsoever. They're back out, I think, tomorrow again. So uh, we're in this kind of crescendo to the national hunt season currently. As you said, they are now heroes of the sport here because of what they did during Chelsea this week. But particularly in the case of Richard Lockmore and for Henry de Bromhead, they didn't have maybe as many bullets going into Cheltenham as Team Mullins did. And ultimately, Willie Mullins was named the uh, champion trainer because of just the amount of uh, runners that he had. But the runners that Henry de Bromhead had, and particularly the runners that Rachel Blackmore was aboard, won so many of the big races. And Henry de Bromhead again told us an off the ball during the week, Valerie, that he remembered a season where he had a handful of winners. I think he said he had four in one single year. And now here he is coming back from Cheltenham after winning three championship races. It just goes to show that sticking at what you're good at and having a belief in your own ability goes a long way in any sport as well. Cheers, Will. Will O'Callaghan from Off the Ball. News talk chatting there on the success success of the Irish at Cheltenham during the week. Congratulations to Rachel and Jack. I'm trying my hardest to get Rachel in the next couple of weeks. She's a busy and wanted lady at the moment, so fingers crossed we're going to have her on the show in a couple of weeks. Um, just taking a look at Ireland, a penalty from Johnny Sexton just there. Ireland to 32, England 11, and there's only moments left on the clock. So we're going to chat to Moss Finn a little later on the show about Ireland's performance, which was great. It was how important it was for them to finish on a high but anyway with all that and more on the way next The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Cork's Red FM But every week now Colm O'Sullen has been chatting up with Liverpool and Ireland legend Ronnie Whedon again this week uh, to look at the Premier League and the FA Cup action this is with sportsnation.bet So we're joined to talk football again by the legendary Ronnie Whedon Ronnie how are you? Um, I'm alright just about Liverpool started to win a couple of games so that helps um just when we pick them, they don't win. Well, they're back. They're back to winning ways after the Wolves game the other night. But uh, it's kind of a strange weekend of football this weekend. It's a mix of Premier League and FA Cup as well. And um, I suppose Saturday is just the one Premier League game. It's Brighton and Newcastle is a real relegation dogfight of a game, isn't it? Yeah, I, I really honestly don't know. I said something last week about Brighton that they play good stuff. I don't know how they're down there in relegation battle. I've seen them play a few times and they play great football. They just have not got a deadly goal scorer. You know, like an Ian Rush or something like that. If they had someone like that up front, they would be nowhere near the bottom. I think they play good football. I think they'll be. I think they'll win. I think Brighton beat Newcastle. Do you think Newcastle are in trouble? I mean, obviously Fulham are still occupying that third place in the relegation zone, but uh, Newcastle are getting dragged down there, and pressure is on Steve Bruce. Are you surprised he's even still there? Yes, I am really. Um, they were. Were not. They didn't look like relegation at all. Now they've dragged themselves right into it. Um, they pick up a result here and there but not enough I don't think they'll get out I think they'll go down I think Fulham are better um, and I think Fulham will have enough to stay off they'll get enough points I don't see Newcastle doing it A couple of FA Cup games as well on Saturday Everton-Man City is a big one I mean we're talking about Man City every week that they're that they're unstoppable I know they lost to Man United a couple of weeks ago but uh, apart from that they've been on a fantastic run both in the league and in Europe and now FA Cup and they could potentially they're, they're still in all four trophies so they could potentially uh, do a quadruple do you think they could do that? Yeah, they've got a great chance. Um, go way back when United did a treble, didn't they, one year? Um, we did it in the 80s with Liverpool, a, a treble. Um, it's difficult to do, very, very difficult. But City going for four, they just seem to have the squad perfect at the moment. They can rest three or four lads who will come into the team straight away the next week, whether it's for the Champions League or the FA Cup, which is Saturday. I can see Everton beating them. I know it's, it's just FA Cup and the Orient and one-off games and all that, but... City just seems to be too strong for everyone. 
big games then in the Premier League on Sunday and in the FA Cup on Sunday as well Ronnie uh, we look at the Premier League first and uh, both Arsenal and Spurs are in action it's a London derby West Ham against Arsenal and West Ham are flying I mean they're having the best season they've had in many many years do you think Arsenal could get a result there? Yeah I, I do think Arsenal can get a result they beat Tottenham last week and they looked good Arsenal they, they, Arteta brought something out in them it's took a little while but they, they're starting to now play and play good stuff West Ham have been a revelation um, but I feel now it's starting to, when you look at West Ham games they start to look tired you see Rice in midfield is looking a bit tired and um, I think it's probably come to that start of the season or that stage of the season where they start to lose lose games um, that's why I'm backing against them this weekend <laughs> you, do, you don't you don't see them sneaking into the top four or so getting that final Champions League place at the end of the season no I don't see them getting top four at all I think there's too many bigger ones around with bigger squads uh, you got Spurs then in action against Villa as well and uh, Spurs obviously lost Arsenal last week but they had been going quite well for a few games before that and uh, like I mean when Spurs get going with their forward players in particular the likes of Kane and Son and Gareth Bale has been on fire recently when those guys click Spurs are on fire so you'd probably be expecting a Spurs win against Villa this weekend Yes, very much so um, I like the way Spurs play when they're playing good, good football strong um, Bale coming into the team uh, Son got injured didn't he Son done his hamstrings so he may be out Mora will come in there look as strong with him in the team so yes yeah, Spurs I think will have a, a good run until the end and, and they may they, they'll be going for fourth place as well so they need the points um, that's why I see Spurs beating Villa this weekend couple of FA Cup games Chelsea and Sheffield United is the first one of the day and uh, Chelsea are on a fantastic run under Tuchel since he's come in he's done really really well there Sheffield United uh, sacked Chris Wilder last week much to our surprise actually a lot of people are very surprised about that and maybe people think it wasn't the best move or maybe they should have done it earlier if they were going to do it do you think it was a strange move Ronnie to, to sack Chris Wilder at this stage I mean they're, they're practically relegated anyway so I mean why not why do it now and why not have done it sooner yeah we were talking about this on Liverpool TV a while back um, I don't think the the directors and the owners were under that much pressure because there was no crowds week in, week out. You know, if a manager's having a bad time, the crowd will be on his back right throughout the game. Get him out. OK, it was great. He brought us up into the Premiership, but now it's time to go. And they've waited a long, long time. And it seemed to me they were saying, OK, go down, bring us back up next year. But that seems to have fallen by the wayside. He's gone. Um, and one of the players has even come out and said, it took us back five years. So it's... Uh, that's why I, part of the whole reason I was, you got to see Chelsea winning this FA Cup tie. Um, but it was sad to see because Sheffield United did play some good football at times. Leicester and Man U is a big one as well in the FA Cup on Sunday. Um, both teams having a, having a very good season. I mean, they're both right up there, kind of swapping between second and third all the time. It's going to be a tough one to call, isn't it? It's very tough. Um, you wouldn't know how, how that one would go. Um, Leicester, actually, Leicester do look a little bit leggy lately. I know they, they won last weekend, but... Um, it was against Liverpool they looked a little bit tired a little bit jaded um, Man United seem to be strong enough at the moment um, but I think I think their main concern is getting into, into Champions League so I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were a couple of changes here and there in each team at the weekend but um, I think overall you'd have to see United going through all right, let's get our charity bet. Then we're doing a charity bet every week here on the show with Sport Nation, and we'll give the winners or the winnings at the end if we have any. Hopefully, we will to uh, Cork Charity. But we haven't had much luck so far, Ronnie. It was Everton left us down last week? Liverpool the week before. So, are you going to stay away from the Merseyside teams this week? Yeah, they've gone by the wayside now. I have to try another city, and it's a major one this week. And it's two away games: Arsenal to win at West Ham and Spurs to win at Villa. 
Um, it gives it a good price as well. If it's 19 to 4 or something like that for the double. So a profit of over 290 quid. Hopefully that will that will come out this week and we'll start getting some money in the coffers. Fingers crossed. We need a bit of luck. Uh, but you would fancy, as we said, you would fancy both Arsenal and Spurs there. Well, listen, Ronnie, uh, enjoy the football over the weekend. We'll chat to you again next week, all right? I can't. Bye-bye. Colm O'Sullivan and Ronnie Whelan chatting all things soccer, the FA Cup and Premier League. Yeah, Ronnie is yet to win some money for a charity, so fingers crossed they do so this week with their bets. Now, it's just over. Ireland have finished their campaign for the Six Nations. They have beaten England at 32 points to 18. Three victories in the Six Nations. A great performance. Joining me now is former legend Moss Defane. Moss, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Fran. Moss... What have you to say? What is your initial reaction yeah. to the performance? We're literally, the whistle's just after going. Well, I, all I would say is it's, it's as good as it gets in, in rugby. Any rugby player that, that has ever watched anything to do with Ireland over the years would, would absolutely relish this and really enjoy it. You can't beat England enough. You can't beat them enough. And we, <laughs> we did it. It was our best performance all season, obviously, and possibly one of the greatest performances in the last 10 years. Uh, it was absolutely wonderful and uplifting to watch. Do you know what? How important was this performance um, at the end of their campaign, Moss? It was, it was very, very important for the whole structure of Irish rugby in that there was unbelievable question marks over Andy Farrell, over Mike Cat as an attacking coach. We've had a very sort of uh, stuttered, sort of uh, broken uh, season. We played well at times, but played badly more often than not. And there was huge question marks about the actual stewardship. Had Farrell got it? Had Mike Cat got it? What direction was this team taking? Had we any plan A? Had we any plan B? We couldn't attack. We couldn't defend. We couldn't do anything. No, after today, we can do everything. Because we beat a world-class team in England and beat them off the pitch. We pummeled them physically in the lineouts and the scrums. And we had the fantastic ex- expansivity in the backs. We, we ran the ball extremely well. It was, it was an absolute joy. But it, it shows us that Andy Farrell and his entire team have this team going in the right direction. That wasn't apparent up to now. It is patently obvious now. England were really rattled, Moss. Incredibly so. And, and they're strong. I mean, they started, they started, everything went according to plan at the very start. We were playing badly. England dominated. We couldn't get our hands on the ball for the first 15 minutes. Next thing, an absolute touch of magic from Keith Earls. Um, side for, uh, took took the ball clean off a set piece, broke the uh, broke the line, had a wonderful sidestep, beat Elliot the English fullback fantastically well, and scored in the corner. At 33 years of age, the young the, the guy is getting faster. He's a wonderful player. He's an, the the crowd kind of gasps when he gets the ball. He's got this sort of electricity about him when he gets the ball in hand. And it was the first time I've seen him in a couple of years getting the chance and executing with a wonderful try that. Anybody who said sitting on their settee, I tell you, didn't see it because it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, no one really did give them the chance, you know, just because the campaign in itself wasn't such a good campaign for Ireland. I mean, 2019 wasn't great, 2020, we were saying no. early 21 isn't great either, but thank God they give us some bit of positive leading. Like, what for you are the positive signs from moving forward? Well, we had a very bad World Cup. We've been poor under Andy Farlow overall. But the, it was just, the, the whole thing was uplifting from an Irish perspective going forward in that I knew we had the players all the time. It was the stewardship I was worried about. But the, the, the performances like, uh, of players, 
We were a bit lucky knowing that Jack Conan came back. He's been injured for about a year and a half. He's a world-class number eight, and he showed it today in everything. The try was his bonus, which was a fantastic try, about 19 phases. He's a world-class player on his way back. And, like, where I have difficulty here is naming a man of the match. Henshaw got the man of the match, but it, it could have been four or five others. Yeah. The, the entire pack, like, let's say, Tyburn, Jack Conan, Henderson, Van der Fleer, Furlong, Stander, and yet you still have Peter Romani and his ilk, Dan Levy on, on the sideline. We've got a lot of great players going forward, and this this just showed us what we have, you know. And then in, in the back line, Henshaw was world-class. Hugo Keenan was world-class at full-back. Earls was the best player, on the, the best back on the field, virtually. And, I mean, it was, it was, it was just exhilarating. And, you know, we have so many players like that of quality that it's very hard to pick out a man of the match really and going forward it all goes very well for Irish rugby really Moss I was I wasn't looking forward to talking to you earlier on this morning because I thought oh my god the two of us are just going to be slating Ireland and I just thought it'd be such a negative chat but the excitement in your voice alone says so much different It is wonderful to be able to talk about positivity like and the I mean all the papers had England favourites all the pundits on, on, on TV3 before the game, uh, Shane Horgan, O'Gara, um, McGinley was the only guy who went for Ireland. But the, the general consensus and team was Ireland were going to be beaten by England today. But we, we turned it on its head. And, you know, that, that's when the paddy is at his best. It's when they're written off. And, you know, we, we would, you, you write Ireland off at, the, at, at your peril, you know. And that was evident today in, in, in the, the sort of way we stuck to the task. And even... One of, the, one of the, the, the very sort of pleasing points of it was when Bundyaki was sent off near the end, yeah. it looked as if England might come back and score three or four more tries maybe and get into it. But we showed a resilience after that and a, a, a maturity that, um, that defied that situation very well. And, and that, that was also very, very pleasing. So as you say, it's a positive day, a great day for Irish rugby. And the fact that it was against England even makes it better. You can't beat England enough, Moss. (laughs) No, no, certainly not. The team, though, going forward, like they can take a lot from this campaign now. What do you think Ireland should have learned over the last few weeks? Well, what 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 everyone was saying about them is that our offence was very pure, was was very poor. My cat has been under pressure for that. He's the man in charge of, of our attack. And it's been very, very benign. And we we weren't performing. We had plenty of ball against Scotland, but our, but our execution wide was very very poor. But we had penetration today. We were getting in behind the first tackle. Earls made breaks. Henshaw made breaks. Sexton made breaks. Conor Murray was getting behind. Tyke Furlong was getting behind. But the I think the great difference is and the, and and the, is if you can get the ball on the forward foot and keep going on the forward foot. The wide stuff comes in, then the flare comes in. You know, the one Gatland always said, you have to earn the right to go wide, and by that he means you have to get behind the advantage, get it on the forward foot behind the advantage line. Then you can go wide. Maybe we were trying to go wide earlier in the season in a more vulnerable position, and then go to getting put back on the seat of our pants. Today we were getting ball on the forward foot, and we got behind and executed brilliantly. Yeah, look, it's signs of progress and signs of development and that's all we wanted from Ireland. But something else before I let you go, Moss, the shock decision and announcement during the week of CJ Stander stepping away from rugby. He's going to be such a loss. I 
I saw him there looking quite emotional at the final whistle, but what a loss to Ireland he'll be. In every way, because people learn from him as well as everything else. And he, like, it was a, that was another great positive to be taken from today because he relished that. And, and you could see it. There was a huge clash of the Titans, as I called it there at one stage. Himself and Billy Vunapola hit it about 100 miles an hour. And he, they both, none of them went back. And Stander held on to the ball and went forward on the next hit. And he came back smiling. You know, he relished the physical challenge of playing against Billy Vunapola in particular, but they'll be vying for the number eight spot on the Lions, perhaps. And he relished playing against the old enemy for Ireland and, and winning. So it was, he's been such a great servant. It is absolutely extremely fitting that he went out in, in a victorious way against the old enemy. It was, it was wonderful for him and very deserving. You know, he's, he's been a great servant and he's leaving at the top, which is a great way to, yep. to remember him. You know, he'll probably play for the Lions. They'll be his last tests. And before I let you go, I mean, Munster must be very excited to get some of their players back after that performance. We will. I mean, and Conor Murray was excellent at scrum half. Like, and he's a very important man for Munster. Like, he's, the, he's the leader. He's the spiritual leader of Munster. He's the guy who's there a long time. He was fantastic. I mean, if, there was, if you could actually attend matches, Errols would, Errols would, 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 would sell all the tickets for Tom and Park if he was playing because <laughs> he's on top of his game and so exciting to watch. Um, you know, who else? Peter Manny, um, loads. It's just a great positive time for, for Irish uh, Irish rugby. And I think Leinster and Munster could get a great run now on the Heineken. Wouldn't games like that make you want to be back in the stands, Moss, sometime soon, uh, hopefully? It would be great to watch it, you know. It, it's a pity. I mean, to be in Lansdowne Road today is where I would have been and I would have relished it because you don't get performances like that every day of the week and every decade, even at this stage. But it was absolutely fantastic. And as you say, we were so negative going in. Everything yeah. was down and then, <laughs> and it's, it turned it on its head. And it is, it is wonderful for Irish rugby and wonderful to see a, a bit of positivity. And I'm delighted because Andy Farrell is very much a gent. And my cat, my cat was a very good running back himself. So I, I was at a loss as to why it wasn't working. But obviously they're thinking long term and they just got it going today. A couple of things like Jack Conan and them coming back in, a few of the injured fellas maybe playing a bit better, tight for long now playing extremely well. Small little things change things and that's what has created the positivity. Well, Moss, thank you so much for joining us on the bench. I can tell by the sound of your voice, you're absolutely <laughs> buzzing after that performance. Hopefully. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Moss. We'll hopefully chat you again soon, all right? Very good, Val. Thank you. Last Finn chatting there on Ireland's win over England. 32 points to 18. As we said, you can't beat England enough. <laughs> so Ireland have beaten England in their Six Nations game this evening. And Neil Tracy was at the Aviva Stadium. If you just want to round up of the game, here it is. Ireland 32, England 18. Ireland's best performance of the Andy Farrell tenure. And on the day, they really, really needed it. A Six Nations championship that had been up and down ended on an emphatic high. Ireland led by 14 points after a clinical first half display. Keith Earls try on 22 minutes, the result of a wonderful line-out move. Earls running in from 40 metres after Jack Conan had tapped the ball down at the back of a line-out. On the stroke of half-time, Conan went a step further and scored a try of his own, darting over at the fringe of a rock after some slack English defence. With 15 minutes to go, England got a lifetime though. Bundyaki red-carded for making contact with the head of England's Billy Vunapola and from the resulting penalty, Ben Youngs went over in the corner for an English try cutting the gap at that point down to 15. But there was to be no nervy final quarter two Johnny Sexton penalties in quick succession pushed that back out to 21 and even a late England
England try from Johnny May couldn't take the gloss off Ireland's first win against England since 2018. It's finished here at the Aviva Stadium, Ireland 32, England 18. There you go, Neil Tracy, that was Neil. He was at the Aviva Stadium for us, England, um, beaten by Ireland, 32 points to 18 in the Guinness Six Nations. All right, so I did mention at the start of the show that um, Garnish, GA, would be in uh, having a chat with us with COVID-19 having a big impact on GA clubs across the country. Clubs have had to dig deep and think of new ways to fundraise and I, I think that um, these guys in Garnish, GA, have really done that because they are giving you a chance to win a vintage tractor and it definitely caught our eyes it's a massive Ferguson. I don't know much about tractors now, but we have Cormac McMahon, the chair of the fundraising committee, and Finbar Harrington, uh, development officer of the club, joins me live now to tell us more about it. Welcome to the show, lads. Yeah, I suppose it's been a, a tough year for, for, I suppose, nearly every club, really, and uh, we're no exception. You know, um, Garnish is 100 miles from Cork City, and we've always been used to living on the edge players traveling back and forth you know I, I'm based in Dublin and I travel down Mitchellstown is only halfway from me so we've always had this challenge with players and I think once COVID hit it just uh, you know accentuated the, the problem um, but the flip side to that is you know I think it's given a lot of um, players the opportunity to think about maybe being based at home again, working from home, and it, it's kind of helped us to galvanise our own efforts, um, which is where the, the the fundraising drive has really come into its own. Finbar, before we get into the fundraising, I think that maybe your job as development officer might be getting a little bit harder after COVID nineteen, trying to develop players and keep them playing. Yeah, look, it, it will be Valerie, and I suppose look, we have two roles in that trying to develop the future players uh, to keep the club alive, but also develop uh, the facilities. And I was look, that's the big reason why we're embarking on this massive fundraiser. Uh, I suppose one thing COVID-19 has taught us, um, you know, the last 12, 18 months have been extremely difficult and a lot of people, but I was one thing it has taught us is that we need more facilities within the community at home. I suppose currently, look, we're in a, in a level five lockdown, which means we can ha- only travel within 5K. So we need more facilities within our community. And I suppose, look, ours is a very small rural-based community in the tip of the Beara Peninsula. We're, we're over 100 miles from Cork City. So, look, uh, I suppose what we need is to improve our facilities to keep the youth in the place and, and keep the club going. So, look, yeah, it's a big job on hand. But I think, look, to be fair, we've had to reinvent ourselves we, we have a fantastic new young committee uh, who have come on board and who have done Trojan work. And, and look, I suppose COVID-19, you, you know, I suppose you'd be shot for saying something good about COVID. But I suppose one thing COVID has done for the likes of our club is it has allowed people the opportunity to work from home. And, and, and thus, we have gained a number of families back into the parish who would normally be away in Cork City and who know moved home and hopefully will stay there and their kids will go to the local school and play with the local club. And and I suppose if going forward, you know, if we can support that and keep that, it, it would be a, have a massive positive impact on our club. I know you're looking to improve facility, but what is the main priority maybe for you uh, as a club? Well, I, I suppose in the facility side of things, I suppose, look, we'd like to floodlight our pitch um, with the long winter nights and with lads travelling uh, home at the weekend, you know, training at the weekend is is a near impossibility for us other than a Sunday morning. So if we had lights, 
you know, we could play games or train in the nights or the evening time. We could also play underage games and run off uh, underage blitzes in, in the peninsula over the winter when there isn't a whole pile happening. Like, we have a very good pitch that we did a lot of work to in the last few years in the line of drainage and stuff. So the surface is quite good in it. Uh, our dressing room facilities, we want to make them a little bit more um, user-friendly and, and maybe adapt them a bit more from uh, the ladies' point of view and, and maybe get the ladies, more ladies involved playing. And look, in, in the long term, we probably look at maybe doing a walk within the in the grounds so that with their parents and kids can drive to a safe place, park up and go for a walk around the grounds again in the dark winter nights where it will be floodless and they'll be safe and off the road. And look, I suppose um, we're going to be ambitious and we're going to look at the possibility of trying to do an AstroTurf as well. Amazing. Well, with all these facilities and hopes to improve the club, we need money. And this is where Cormac, you came in. I mean, you have a new fundraiser and it caught the eye of a lot of people, I think. But it is a tractor fundraiser 2021. Can you tell us a bit about it? I'm no farmer or tractor experts. You need to give us the details on the tractor that's available. <laughs> and, and, and sure, yeah. Well, I guess one of the club stalwarts, uh, Oliver Sullivan, uh, came across the, the tractor. Um, it was uh, restored by a guy called Patsy Deneen from Ovens and it, he did an amazing job of it and really the idea grew from there that perhaps we could work with Patsy to uh, you know, um, raffle the tractor. So we've essentially um, we've done up a website, we've promoted the tractor on the website, we're offering a limited draw of 500 tickets, uh, 100 euro per ticket and while it's not for everyone I think you know there is a a large uh, farming and GA community out there that might be more than happy to, you know, uh, have a go at uh, winning the tractor and at the same time support the club. So the, the response has been phenomenal, to be honest. I think we're all a little bit uh, nervous and apprehensive starting off, but uh, you know, we're we're more than halfway there now with the ticket sales, and um, we've got uh, amazing support. You know, from local newspapers, uh, local characters, uh, and and more famous characters really coming in board to, to support the fundraiser. And I suppose the best part of it, really for me, is not necessarily about the, the money at all. It's been the fact that it's really gotten the, the whole community behind the initiative. Uh, all the players are on board, older members of the club are on board, and um, you know during these difficult times where we can't really meet face-to-face, -face, it's given us a sort of a, a modus operandi to continue the activities in the club in a, in a safe way, you know? Yeah, no, so if anyone is listening to the show tonight and they want to throw their name in the hat for this uh, vintage Massey Ferguson, I see online, if it's not red, you can keep it in the shade I saw on your fundraiser online. But where can people go to get a ticket? Um, they can go to the garnish.ga.ie website. That's www.garnishga.ie. Uh, and there is a, a fundraiser page on the website that will link you directly to iDonate, um, where you can purchase the ticket directly. Fimber, are you delighted with the response so far from this as a, from a club perspective? Yeah. Absolutely, Valerie. I, I think... Um, what this has really done, you know, as Cormac said, we were nervous in the beginning because it was a big investment. I suppose, look, we value the tractor at a very modest 10,000 euros. But look, uh, from seeing the tractor and the job that Patsy has done on it, the tractor is worth a lot more, you know. But um, 
you know, when we embarked on it first, I suppose we were a little bit nervous. But to be fair, the community, our whole parish, has rode in behind this fundraiser. And it's no longer no just a, a club fundraiser. It's a whole parish and a whole community. And then the wider community and the wider diaspora have come on board with some famous people, you know, give you shout outs and launching it. And, and it's been phenomenal, I think. Just before we came on air, I think, Valerie, we just turned over. I think we've gone over the 27,500 mark in the tractor, which is great. So, look, we've gone well over halfway and, and look, we're going to push it hard for the next two months and try and, and try and make the 500 ticket mark. I suppose, look, it is a great opportunity. It's a one in a 500 chance of winning a, a tractor of this value and this vintage for a 100 euro ticket. So, so it, it is a good deal all round. Thanks a million, Valerie. Look, I suppose... Uh, you know, I suppose everyone is going through difficult times at the moment. But look, I suppose, please God, these these difficult times will pass. You know, and you know, we we we'll get back onto the playing field where we all want to be, old, young, and old. And and hopefully, uh, we we'll look back and COVID as something that, you know, there's something we just lived through and passed through. And, and hopefully, there's great days to come. Finbar, Harrington and Cormac McMahon of Garnish GA chatting to me about their fundraiser. You can get tickets online. You can find their Twitter page. Um, I'll share it there on the big red bench as well. But that is it for me. I'm back next Saturday from 6pm. Rory's off tomorrow night. So Colm is in the hot seat for him and said and he's got plenty of sports to catch up on. So I'm back next Saturday. That's it for me. Stevie G is on the way next. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM.